you can have cell uh, muscle cells starving and dying in your chest and the pec, pec muscles tighten up and then the diaphragm tightens up and the and the muscles between the ribs tighten up now they can't breathe because they have toxicity in their blood and they have a deficiency of oxygen in their blood and those two combinations create cell starvation and cell death and the main symptom of this is when the muscle cells are dying they tighten up do you want to know what it is body mind empowerment get stronger faster smarter quicker friendlier more helpful more driven everything the body needs control your mind welcome to the body mind empowerment podcast i'm your host seamland and our guest today is darren schmidt darren is a doctor of chiropractic from dc and owner of the nutritional healing center of ann arbor he also creates content and teaches people about optimizing their health. Darren, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I do enjoy a lot of your videos and uh, you go really into the science and uh, the physiology, which I would imagine most most uh, practitioners and doctors don't even know that much about. So maybe maybe kind of give like a short backstory of how did you got involved uh, into the field of medicine and uh, what's your story? Well, I was um, raised on a farm <clears throat> and I was trying to decide like what to do with my life. I figured I want to be a doctor or something and I explored uh, conventional medicine, podiatry, veterinary medicine. Then I spent a couple hours with a chiropractor in my hometown and what he showed me was pretty holistic and having been a farmer before that, you know, I had that holistic viewpoint like you plant a seed now and later it grows and this chiropractor was showing me that you can have a pain in the, in the leg caused by something going on in the back. Mm. And I, I said, well, I can, you know, I can think that way. So I went to the chiropractic school and, um, I was more, I was studying physiology quite a bit, like three years ago when I had my own case of black mold or toxic mold poisoning that landed in my heart and my chest. And mm. I stumbled upon a solution for that. That was, um, created in the early 1930s. And so I had to study like what they knew back then. And they, that's where I got a lot of the uh, um, physiology that I know and I apply right now. I mean, I know a lot of physiology from school and from being in practice for, you know, 21 years or 22 years now. But mm. it was like when, when I was able to figure out lactic acidosis, which is the physiology of dying, then um, I was able to apply it more easily with my patients to get greater results. Mm. Wow, wow. <laughs> that's qu quite interesting. So... You mentioned uh, lactic acidosis. So uh, what is that and uh, how does it relate to like disease development? Yeah, so there's two definitions of lactic acidosis. The first one originated in the 1840s and sort of stopped at, in 1960. And I get, there's some literature on it up to 1976. But then the definition changed. Um, and now it's only applied in two situations. One is people who are athletic and the other one is people who have like five days left to live. And both of those people can have high lactate in the blood. So for example, I tested my own blood yesterday and my lactate level was 1.5 and the normal range is 0.5 to one. Mm -hmm. So my lactate is high in my blood because I worked out the day before for an hour and a half in the gym and I tore up my muscles and that caused lactic acidosis, which is fine if you're an athlete and your body handles it. And it actually uses lactate as a, as a fuel. Mm. But, but when somebody's sick with cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and they're in the hospital, they're dying, 
the lactate will go very high also. It can go up to 20, 25, and uh, it's not a good sign at all. There's studies showing that people with really high lactate like that, their all-cause mortality is so much higher, and there's no solution in medicine to bring it down. They try to give them uh, baking soda or something to reduce the, um, the acidic part. So what it is, it's when you look at it like from you know 100 years ago, it's, it's dirty blood that's hypoxic, so it doesn't have enough oxygen. Mm. So there's, it could be high lactate or high other chemicals such as ethanol, acetaldehyde. And these are waste products that the body makes from burning sugar. And also the other, another waste product is hydrogen, which is acid. Mm. So you, you add the term lactate plus acid, that's how they came up with lactic acidosis. Mm. But um, so currently in conventional medicine, they'll test for high lactate. And if it's high, they'll say, yeah, you got lactic acidosis. But 100 years ago, the definition was so much more broad and it applied to so many more people. So if basically somebody's chronically ill from whatever condition and they have symptoms from head to toe or they, maybe they just have some slight symptoms, I use the term lactic acidosis even though their lactate may be normal mm -hmm. um, because they have toxicity in their blood and they have a deficiency of oxygen in their blood. And those two combinations create cell starvation and cell death. And the main symptom of this is when the, the muscle cells are dying, they tighten up. Mm -hmm. So if you have a dead body on the ground, within a few hours, the whole body is stiff. That's rigor mortis. Mm -hmm. And then after 10 or 20 hours, the, the muscle cells themselves break down, and then the whole body is limp. Mm -hmm. But the point here is that you can have cell, uh, muscle cells starving and dying in your chest. And the pec, pec muscles tighten up. And then the diaphragm tightens up and the, and the muscles between the ribs tighten up. Now they can't breathe. And they're having a hard time breathing, you know, expanding their, their rib cage. And, um, and then they think, well, they have asthma. Or if their heart is starting to beat harder, because the heart is muscle. Mm -hmm. And you can have lactic acidosis in the heart. You get angina, you get a heart attack. People run to the hospital with chest pain and they think they're having a heart attack. And the doctors don't find anything wrong with the heart. And they say, oh, you're just anxious. Go see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Well, the word anxiety actually means tightening or narrowing. So yeah, they are anxious because their muscles are tightening up. Their um, esophagus is tightening up so they can't swallow. They, you know, their uh, calf muscles are tight. They get fibromyalgia. So uh, at one point I counted over 80 uh, diseases and symptoms that are related to lactic acidosis. Oh. And it's actually, it's, it's a mechanism of chronic disease. It's not a cause, mm -hmm. it's a mechanism. So I hope I answered your question. It's kind of a yeah. long answer, but that's how it goes. Yeah, it's, you did a really good job. And uh, it's, it's, it's quite a fascinating that you mentioned how it you know, carries over into the way you breathe, which I would imagine in turn is going to reinforce the buildup of lactic acid in your blood because of the hypoxia and not getting enough oxygen into your tissues. So it's like a vicious cycle almost. And uh, looking at it from like a holistic perspective is definitely much more functional and uh, you wouldn't like see it from the lens of the conventional medicine almost, almost at all. So, uh, right. so to kind of overcap then, uh, uh, lactate is the byproduct of uh, carbohydrate metabolism and uh, the lactic acidosis right. is the, is the buildup of that waste material that simply accumulates in your tissues. And if you if you have too much waste material in your tissues and not enough oxygen, 
or to carry around like different you know energy then that's going to cause disease and uh, essentially it's it's almost like leaving water sit (laughs) inside a jar for like a too long time without like uh, rinsing it if if it makes sense yeah now it's not the cause of disease it's the mechanism okay so in your instance what you just said was the cause is actually sugar you know the body's burning sugar for too long and Mm -hmm. so there's people who are they try to be they try to have a healthy diet they're vegetarian Um, they try to eat a lot of vegetables and then at the age of 65 they have a heart attack or at the age of 70 they have cancer it's because they never burn fat during their whole life they've always been burning sugar mm-hmm. so yeah and there's other causes then so my cause three years ago was black mold <clears throat> so one of the byproducts of black mold is lactate and it causes lactic acidosis but on top of that i had black mold so you know the spores are growing and it was um i had all the breathing troubles I had the heart symptoms, I had pain down the left arm, and I had four EKGs, one of them was bad, showing a possible myocardial infarction. But the point is, I did see my cardiologist, and I've known him since, you know, for 20 years or whatever, and he's holistic, he's one of the greatest cardiologists that I know, and he diagnosed me with esophageal spasm. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you know, that's not right, because I got symptoms here, I got nausea, I can't I lost my appetite. I can't, I don't have good posture anymore. Like I'm caved in, I got this deep chest pain. And so that's the point of this, the conventional medicine, looking at the symptom and diagnosing the symptom, Mm. as opposed to stepping back and actually looking at like, what is the cause? What is the cause? What is the mechanism? And then you can feed the organs to get rid of symptoms. So I dove into, the way I got into this was, um, so it was 2016 when this happened. And there was one really bad night in February, and I couldn't sleep. My blood pressure was 155 over 95. I couldn't breathe, and my mind was racing with anxious thoughts. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. And so I'd been trying for four months to try to get rid of my symptoms. Well, I started taking some supplements that were designed in the early 1930s. And I got better. Two days later, I felt better. And so I had to dive into the old school information. I have, I've purchased all these old textbooks and medical nutrition books ever since then, but um, that's when I discovered this concept of lactic acidosis being a mechanism of chronic disease. Now, I didn't find the mold until nine months later. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know I had black mold in my body. But once I found the mold, then I got rid of the cause and then started detoxing that. In the meantime, taking these supplements that were fixing the lactic acidosis. So does that make sense? Yeah, uh, it does. Uh, It's quite, yeah glad that you made out of it so to say but yeah. what what are the other things that uh, do promote uh, lactic acidosis besides just like mold uh yeah so the primary one in western society would be the excess sugar metabolism and um so and the, the other factor then is just pure toxicity so that could be chemicals all the hundreds of thousands of chemicals that are being manufactured and we end up we end up eating them breathing them uh, drink them with water. Heavy metals can be, you know, of course they're toxic. They're going to pollute the body. They're going to pollute the cell's ability to take in nutrition and oxygen and to remove the waste. Mm-hmm. So those are the three main causes of chronic disease. The um, excess sugar metabolism and pathogens, like I had black mold. I mean, you can have dirty blood from 
parasites, fungus, uh, you know, um, virus, bacteria, and then toxicity. So those are the three main things that I focus on. Mm. So, you, so you mentioned sugar. Uh, would it be like different from regular carbohydrate metabolism or is it like just pure sugar? It's just, it's carbohydrate metabolism. Okay. So it doesn't matter if it's honey or if it's from bread or it's from, you know, agave syrup or whatever. It's your cells using glucose as fuel mm. or, you know, the, the smallest, the simplest sugars. It's your cells using that all the time in excess or for a long period of time. So somebody mm. can have like, you know, like, a whole bunch of candy in one night and then they get the tightening, they get the anxiety or, you know, drugs can do it. Um, heroin, marijuana, you know, people get these horrible anxious thoughts. It's a bad trip. That's lactic acidosis. Wow. It's dirty blood and hypoxic blood. That's not feeding the brain. Brain cells start to die. And then they get these anxious thoughts like I'm going to die. Um, and they start questioning their life's decisions and they have depression bipolar of course thing you can have anxiety here in the brain or you can have it in the chest or you can have it in the stomach i have two people their anxiety is back here mm. so it's dirty blood affecting different parts of the body then i'm able to find it and fix it wow that's that's quite interesting that uh, the mariana and drugs i also cause it so to say and i would imagine like people are spending way too much time indoors so they're already you know, mildly hypoxic and they're not getting like oh. adequate enough uh, oxygen and even like the sitting postures of looking down at your smartphone or that, you know, that's going to enforce oh. this caving in of your chest, which is, which in itself like constricts your blood supply to all the tissues. And it's again, like not enough oxygen, right. and not enough blood flow. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's not just like street drugs, but like Prozac, all the psychiatric drugs, mm. they all treat the symptom where people have anxiety or depression, the drugs make them feel better, but in the long run, it's actually making the problem worse. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've, when I was looking for my solutions, I searched out like, what can I do to get rid of my anxiety, chest pain, difficulty breathing, and anxiety came up as a diagnosis over and over again on the internet. And some people said, well, the solution is exercise, because then you breathe more. It's like, no, that's not the solution because it's biochemistry inside the body that needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. So if you go outside and you're breathing in more oxygen, that's great, right? But are you actually fixing the biochemistry that's causing the hypoxic blood and the dirty blood? So that's where nutrition comes into play and um, supplements. But I mean, we can talk about that too. We can talk about the, the diets that I found work the best. Yeah, you can mention a few of them. Okay, so um, well, starting with the best one, to be honest, there's three that I want to talk about. The, the best one is red meat. So there's four parts of fixing lactic acidosis. One is getting rid of the acid. And in red meat, there's heme iron, mm -hmm. which oxygenates the muscles. And the, uh, that's how you, so the oxygen in the muscles attaches to the hydrogen of the acid, and I got water. So heme iron in red meat gets rid of acid. Wow. And then um, the... Uh, the other aspect of this I want to say is that your biggest organ in your body is your muscles. Mm -hmm. And some people say it's your liver. Some people say it's your skin or your brain or whatever. No, your muscles are the biggest organ in your body. And if you're not feeding your muscles, your thyroid and your adrenals don't have a chance. And your brain doesn't have a chance. You got to feed your muscles first. So red meat is the best food for your muscles. And then the other aspects of this, of uh, 
eating red meat is um, when you, you, the muscles are being fed very well, the cells of the muscles can respire properly and metabolize properly, meaning that they can clean, clean themselves out. So I really think that red meat is a health food. It's a detoxifying food. Right. Now you can argue that avocados and kale and you know romaine lettuce is the best detoxifying food. Yeah, radishes, they got sulfur, um, turnips, the root vegetables. I'm a big, you know, go ahead and eat that. But there's plenty of people eating a ton of vegetables and their health isn't perfect and they can't build muscle and they don't have good endurance because they're not feeding their muscles. So, um, but the red meat fixes all four parts of fixing lactic acidosis. Yeah, now, like, that, that kind of goes against all of the conventional advice that, uh, which says that meat, meat is actually causing acidity in the blood and uh, that, uh, that heme iron is also like quite toxic. So what's your <laughs> answer to that? Well, I mean, iron is toxic when it's too high. So if you have hemochromatosis, which is primarily a genetic issue, like my office manager has hemochromatosis. She's got to get her blood drawn once every couple of months, once every three months at a hematology clinic. And so that's when iron is bad. But for everybody else, um, you want normal levels of iron. And that range is, you know, there's an upper range and a lower range, and you want to be somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And if you have, normally, if you have too much iron in your body, your body can get rid of it. It's, it, can be, it can be toxic and your body just detoxifies it like it does anything else. But that's where a blood test comes in and if your iron's normal, then fine. Right. If it's too high, then fix it. You know? So heme iron is not an issue unless it's tox toxic, just like any other you know, uh, nutrient or food or whatever. Right. And um, what's the other thing that we're talking about? Um, the Acidity. The acidity, right, yeah. The acidity. I was just watching a video this morning on YouTube. This guy's talking about the seven best alkaline foods. He's a student of Dr. Sebi, S-E-B-I. He's pretty popular. He's passed away now. But this whole idea of acid alkaline food comes from the late 1800s when you have these nutrition researchers, and it's like the science is brand new. And they're trying to figure out what's in food. Like what is, what's the value of eating food? So what they thought of to do was to burn the food and then test the ash. And they found that some of the foods, ash was acid, and other foods had alkaline ash. And then by 1920, the whole thing was totally tossed out as being completely clinically irrelevant. Mm -hmm. But here it is, 2019, and just Google alkaline food, and you're gonna get a bunch of alkaline foods. It's not a thing, right? It's not a, and, it, and if you do want to avoid the acid foods, because supposedly they're bad, then avoid grains mm. and sugar. That's like the absolute, the most acidic food there is out there. Mm. But yeah. the idea here is like, I eat meat and vegetables. So if you want to apply the acid alkaline theory, meat would be a little bit acidic, vegetables are a little bit alkaline, boom, it's neutral. Your blood is neutral. That's the thing. And your body has like six or so different mechanisms to keep the blood in the exact perfect pH range. It's a very narrow window of your blood pH that needs to be maintaining your body does a great job of doing that until you get lactic acidosis in excess right. or some other type of acidosis is also metabolic acidosis and you can also get alkalosis too but when that blood ph goes up or down you know then you get into, into trouble because then your the mechanisms inside your body to maintain the ph those are broken down so you want to mm. you know you, you want to prevent that from happening by keeping a healthy body 
Yeah, I think like even even the food that you eat, that's not going to affect your blood pH. Like the blood pH is going to re- remain like within a certain range unless you have like some lactic acidosis or something else. So uh, like the food you eat, that's not, you know, <laughs> directly even going to affect what's the st- like the alkaline state or the al- acid state of your body. So it's somewhat yeah, con- taken out of context with that. Right, it is, yeah. Yeah, so getting back to the diet. So if, for example, if you eat nothing but meat every day and that's it, you'll be in ketosis every day. Mm-hmm. So um, ketosis is important for fixing lactic acidosis because, like I said earlier, burning sugar all the time contributes to that condition later on. So when you're in ketosis, you're burning fat, you're not burning sugar anymore, and that's extremely important to uh, prevent um, that mechanism from occurring. Then the third thing, which we kind of touched on already, is if you juice vegetables or you eat vegetables, that can clean your blood. Like I said, you know, various root vegetables will be very sulfury, like radishes or, or beets can be very cleansing for the liver and the gallbladder. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, you just, if you're a vegan, vegetarian, eating a ton of vegetables, you're not getting into ketosis. So ketosis is more important <clears throat> than trying to clean the blood with vegetables. Now, you can do both, of course. You can be in ketosis you know, like two weeks out of the month or whatever and, you know, eat a ton of vegetables the other two, two weeks of the month. Um, but certainly a lot of people, I have a lot of patients, they're in ketosis all the time and they have a small salad every day or something like that so, and they're maintaining their health that way. Right. So it's like uh, ketosis would fix the root problem, which is glycolysis and uh, lactate. Yes. And excessive the, glycolysis yeah yeah and the vegetables would be you know it would help to lower the acidity and lactic acidosis but at the same time if you're combining those vegetables still with you know a lot of uh, sugar and a lot of fruit fructose for example and processed food or something like that then you're not really treating the underlying issue right yeah ketosis being the solution for most of the issues and so if you think about it and you know the research on it Ketosis is the solution for type 2 diabetes. And ketosis is the best hope for cancer. Mm-hmm. So ketosis, I've had 11 people uh, reverse their cancer with ketosis. Wow. And, and there's plenty of research on that. Dr. Thomas Seyfried has his book on that, Cancer is a Metabolic Disease. And so I saw a lecture by Thomas Seyfried on YouTube. And he said, he's talking about cancer. And he goes, it's all lactic acidosis. Well, at this point, I knew that lactic acidosis was, you know, diabetes. It's heart disease. You know, the, the deficiency of oxygen to the heart muscle makes the muscle stop. You can have one part of the heart muscle starving of oxygen, and that part stops. And then the heart is now, let's say the heart was beating like this, and now you have a little bit of lactic acidosis in one section, and you have a partial heart attack. Now the heart is beating like this. So the dynamics of the beat is different, and that will throw a clot. Wow. You know, if there's some plaguing, um, or it can form uh, like a blood clot, you know, so there's a cholesterol plaguing, you could have a blood clot form. Now you have a heart attack, but the heart attack actually was caused by the lactic acidosis changing the dynamics of the heartbeat, wow. and then the clot is thrown or the plaque is thrown, now, and then they have a full-blown heart attack. Mm. So that's something that um, it's, in, it's in various pieces of literature for, you know, more than about 50 years and it's just never talked about it. I found it because I keep reading all these old books and, (laughs) you know, like figuring out like, what are these people saying? You know, I I have these books. It's like, 
I have to tackle a book for like three months to fully understand it, you know? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just because the language language was different, their sentences were structured different, and to really like grasp the knowledge and be able to apply it, it's, it's quite a feat. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. I would imagine. Uh, you mentioned like cancer, and I've also heard that like that the only fuel cancer cells can use is uh, glucose and glutamine. So even going on a, like a keto diet or being in ketosis, that's going to take out at least most of the fuel for the cancer and that's going to cause the starvation of it. So, Right. The glucose from cancer uh, is lactate. It's, that, it's the lactic acid cycle mm-hmm. and the lactate gets converted back into glucose. So the cancer cells produce lactate and then they, it gets converted by the body back into glucose. So the cancer is making its own fuel. Right. So you want to stop that whole lactate production. Yeah, the cancer cells are really, uh, uh, they thrive uh, under hypoxic conditions as well. So <laughs> that's quite, quite uh, interesting. But what about the situations? Yeah, what about situations uh, where uh, your body is producing its own lactate, like during exercise as well? Uh, like, uh, does that going to lead to lactic acidosis or cancer? No, because... Um, so when I tested my lactate level yesterday and it was high because I worked out for an hour and a half in the gym, I had, I broke down the muscles. I made the muscles scream for, for fuel and they, and, uh, the waste product of, of, uh, carbohydrate metabolism being lactate was elevated and my body used that lactate as energy. And then the liver is just cleaning the rest of it out of the body. So that's the normal way the body gets rid of lactate. And that's, you know, of course, if you're a fit athlete, no, there's no problem whatsoever. And I do need to say that when your body is making the lactate as a fuel, 75% of it is used as a fuel. The other 25% needs to be removed as a waste. Now, if, you're, if your body is unhealthy um, for, you know, 50 years of eating bad food, um, you, create, you create the lactate, your body can't get rid of it. The liver is not getting it out of the body. Now you have a higher amounts of lactate. And so add on top of that various inflammatory um, proteins, cytokines, disease, I'm going to call them disease-mongering um, chemicals <laughs> that hinder the uh, proper utilization of lactate by the body, mm-hmm. right? So it's a, it's a confluence of many things that come together to create the cancer, to create the heart disease. And uh, lactate is just is one of them. High lactate is one of them. Right. And the body's inability to process that is the other. Yeah. So the issue isn't lactate itself. It's just you know the excessive buildup and not being able to clear it from the blood. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And uh, what about what about these other similar uh, acidic compounds like uric acid, for example, which is your body's own like antioxidant? that gets elevated like during fasting and such how does it um, go into play with lactic acidosis in some way or is it like a separate um you know i haven't really looked into that much um it's my understanding that uric acid goes up with excess sugar metabolism have you heard of that yeah like one of the one of the things that does promote uric acid are like alcohol and uh, sugar fructose specifically and they do say that meat also raises uric acid but it's again, I think if you combine all those things together, for instance, if, if you drink alcohol, you eat meat and eat fruit and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. all together, then that's going to become like an issue. But if you have like only one of those things, 
then that, your body would be simply able to clear it out by itself. So it's again yeah, like exactly. So the four waste products of or uh, five waste products of excess uh, glucose metabolism are the acid, lactate, um, acid aldehyde, um, ethanol, and um, acetate. So mm -hmm. ethanol, you just mentioned alcohol. Right. Yeah, so ethanol is certainly involved in the uh, uh, metabolism of carbohydrates. So now there's a person on social media that said that he went carnivore and his uric acid levels normalized. Now I have patients that they eat meat and their gout flares up like tremendously, you know, so, mm -hmm. so the, I'm still kind of confused about this whole, you know, the uric acid gout is, issue. Some people get better when they go keto carnivore, other people get worse when they eat meat. But I still think that the underlying cause initially is excess sugar metabolism, fructose, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. W what about, uh, for instance, the aspect of gluconeogenesis that uh, you're, you're converting protein into uh, glucose, does that then get converted into lactate as well eventually? Um, could, geez, could, I don't think that's part of That's a different cycle. Yeah, the lactic acid cycle is one thing, and gluconeogenesis is another thing. And with gluconeogenesis, it's not like your body's taking the amount of sugar in your blood from, you know, five grams to 500 grams, you know. Hmm. It's just bringing the sugar from four grams to five grams or five to six. So, it's, I'm, and I could be wrong on that, but it's not, ex, you know, bring, uh, producing a ton of sugar. Gluconeogenesis is um, demand-driven and not um, supply-driven. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those are those are different um, uh, mechanisms. I think they're unrelated. Right, right. Because <clears throat> because in a keto keto ketogenic state, you're not really needing like that extra glucose because your body will thrive thriving on uh, ketones and it gets all the energy needs from the ketones. Right. Yeah, it's a different state. That's a good point. Right. It, it can be different situations. But uh, what, what about uh, ketoacidosis? Like uh, some people say that. Or it's you know it's really common to think that uh, high amounts of ketones is also dangerous and you know enforces acidity and everything else. So what's, what's right, up, yeah. up with that? Um, ketoacidosis is high sugar, crazy high, like three hundred in American terms, three hundred. And then the ketones are also very high, like twenty or twenty-five. Whereas if you have a diabetic who's in the ketogenic uh, state, their ketones might be three. And their blood sugar now is, let's say it's 150. So ketoacidosis is, is screaming high, both ketones and blood sugar. But I did read somewhere in one of my old books, and I've been looking for that re reference again. I can't find it. But I read that when you have high um, glucose and high insulin in the body, now the body can't get rid of lactate. It can't oxidize lactate. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the aspect of it. It's like... Um, High, um, high insulin because you're diabetic, uncontrolled insulin, uncontrolled sugar, now your body is forming more and more lactate and can't get rid of it. So there's that you know, aspect of that disease mechanism mm. so, so for most people. Right. So insulin resistance is definitely like a huge contributor to lactic acidosis. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. How, how do, uh, you know, what, what, you, what, what would be like some other maybe potential um, methods of dealing with it in a sense of dealing with the uh yeah lactic acidosis um eating liver mm -hmm. and if you don't like to eat liver takes liver supplements and you can buy them on amazon 
I actually created my own. I have a company um, where we made a multi-glandular. The company's called Heritage Glandulars, and it's got nine glands in it. So when I read these old books, like there's a guy named Dr. Henry Harrower. He's the father of endocrinology. His textbook from 1932 says that lactic acidosis is caused by thymus dysfunction, which is this gland right here for the immune system, mm -hmm. is caused by liver dysfunction, is caused by pancreas dysfunction, is, and he's listing off all these organs. <laughs> so I have those organs in this multiglandular to try to like feed the organs so they work optimally. And you know, you gotta look at this so holistically, like fix all the organs, right? Mm -hmm. Don't just try to fix a thyroid, you know, don't just take a brain supplement, mm. you know, take it, take all of them because yeah. everything is attached to everything. And when everything is healthy, then the lactate metabolism continues on, you know, and you're, you're doing a good diet to keep your blood sugar down, keep your insulin down. So that's the big holistic picture. So eating liver and then of course exercise does help. Oxygen therapies help, meaning like hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So people use that for cancer. You could do um, food-grade hydrogen peroxide. People drink that. I've never used that myself. but And then deep breathing, exercise, meditation. Um, not, not, I'm not saying meditation. I'm saying, um, um, yeah, meditation for the sake of calming the body down right. and trying to get oxygen into the body. So there, there's some more aspects to it. Yeah. What about baking soda? You mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, baking soda... Um, in the studies they did in the uh, intensive care units, what they found was people with high lactate, let's say they had a heart attack and they're going to die soon, it may extend their life by two days. Okay. So baking soda is not a solution. It's never been a solution for anything that I can think of. It's not, it can help people with their acid reflux or something, but again, it's not a solution. Mm -hmm. So It's a treatment, short-term short, short, short tre treatment. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but, but I've also heard like uh, vitamin C uh, used as for like cancer treatment. Right. Yeah. The uh, vitamin C would, you know, IV um, high dose ascorbic acid um, that was made primarily uh, famous by Dr. Paul, uh, Linus Pauling and he died of prostate cancer. Mm. And he said in an interview, that he wished that he had given himself more vitamin C, such as like 100,000 grams a day. Wow. <laughs> and I just think that like, that's not the solution either. And the biggest effect of ascorbic acid is the acid. And like, maybe if you have enough of the acid, it'll kill the cancer. I'm not sure. I mean, I, one of my close friends, is he's a doctor in Ann Arbor. He does vitamin C. I, and I got a vitamin C, uh, 25,000 IUs of vitamin C, um, about six weeks ago because I had a brown spot show up right there under my eye and I went to the hospital and they said, oh, melanoma. And she said, she goes, I'm not sure if it's melanoma. We have to do a biopsy. I refused a biopsy and I've just been treating it with natural stuff. And I went to my friend and I said, hey, what would you recommend? He said acupuncture and um, IV vitamin C. So I did it. I don't know if it helped, but this is smaller. It's less brown, and it's confirmed at the hospital. But um, I'm, you know, I've never really, I've never recommended ascorbic acid in my whole career. It's been over 20 years, and I, I do like the whole food vitamin C with all the different constituents that come together, as uh, explained in the 1930s and 1920s when the vitamins were first discovered. You know, they had such a broader picture 
about these descriptions for vitamin C. And then in the and then the American uh, Medical Association came through and said, well, we're changing the definitions of these vitamins. You know, they said vitamin C and vitamin E are simply um, antioxidants. Mm-hmm. Whereas earlier for the previous 20 years, these vitamins cured all kinds of diseases. They cured, you know, they prevented deformities in, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, newborns. And so the AMA came through and said, no, they're just antioxidants, just ignoring decades of research. So there's my story on vitamin C and my opinion of it, ascorbic acid versus the real stuff. Right, right. <laughs> That's uh, quite interesting because uh, I, I do agree that you don't necessarily want to take like a bunch of extra antioxidants like vitamin C and vitamin E because it's going to make your body actually weaker against uh, the the kind of hormetic stress of living and uh, you're weakening your Im- yeah. immune system to a certain extent. Right, and it's an antioxidant, meaning it's anti-oxygen. Hmm. And we need oxygen. Right. So why would you take something to remove the oxygen out of your body? Right. Yeah, right. It's, and there is a, there's a, huh? Yeah, I would mean, I mean, like, it's, it can be useful, but it can be useful only for uh, treating some actually acute, you know, inflammatory right, yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's a range again, too, of uh, you want to have these reactive oxygen species, the bad oxygen, you want to have a range. You don't want to have too much and you don't want to have too little. If you have too little ROS, then the white blood cells don't have those bullets to kill pathogens. The white blood cells use oxygen. And, and cancer cells are trying to commit suicide. And you give them oxygen, the oxygen is the bullet that the cancer cells use to commit suicide. So you don't want to do antioxidants and get rid of all the oxygen out of your body. That's a good, uh, good way of putting it. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so you recommend uh, consuming more, uh, you know, oxy- oxygenated foods like meat and uh, some vegetables if it's if it's needed. Yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, but what's the, what's the like, you know, correlation between meat consumption and cancer? Uh, the cor- there's no correlation. Right. Or there's um, let me let me rephrase that. There's no causation. Mm. There's correlation depending on the type of study. We got observational studies that say that people that eat a lot of meat have a higher correlation of cancer. Mm-hmm. But that's, there's too many confounders in those studies. Those are observational studies. People who eat meat also tend to smoke more, drink more, exercise less. They're called non-adheres. They don't adhere to any health advice. They don't go to their doctor. Mm-hmm. So that's the technical term is correlation. Cancer and meat are correlated. But there's, when you do a randomized control trial, and you actually try to find a cause, it's been discovered that meat does not cause cancer. So there's a clinic in Hungary called Paleo Medicina, and they're using uh, meat to cure cancer. And um, they have different types of diets. One of them is called the Paleo Ketogenic Diet, so PKD. Mm-hmm. And depending on the type of cancer, they may prescribe that type of a diet or other, other sort of meat-based, glandular-based, animal fat, protein-based diets. And so like a year ago, I had a woman with breast cancer. She had surgery on one side. The other side had a little bit of cancer, detectable on a scan, but so small that they weren't going to cut it out. They were going to wait for it to grow. Then they're going to cut it out. So my patient told me about this, and I had known her for ten, from 10 years earlier. And um, I just said, all right, you're going to do a five-day 
fasting mimicking diet to get in, deep into ketosis. And after five days, I put her on a ketogenic diet. And after six weeks, it was completely gone. Wow. So, and what did she eat? She ate more dairy, more meat, more fat, less vegetables. So we put her in ketosis. We stopped the lactic acidosis. We stopped the sugar metabolism. We stopped creating uh, the waste products. I had her eat liver. So her liver worked better because she's eating liver. Mm -hmm. And six weeks later, the breast cancer is gone. Now I've done this, you know, I've done this multiple times with other people and I just need to say that I've had successes and I've had uh, failures too. So it doesn't work for everybody. That's why I say that ketosis is the best hope for cancer. You know, if you have cancer, you get into ketosis and then you decide what to do for a therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, are you going to do chemo radiation surgery? Are you going to do hyperbaric oxygen therapy? But the foundation really is ketosis. And I do recommend the hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Mm. Well, that's, that's quite interesting. Uh, what I wanted to touch upon was that, yeah, like the meat is uh, thought to correlate with cancer, but it's again, like what type of meat and what are you combine the meat with, so to say. So if a person is eating like a hot dog bun with the processed meat, then of course right. that can, you know, promote lactic acidosis because of the grains and because of the, the sugars and everything else. So it's not like necessarily the meat and it's caused by actually the other things that are combined together with the meat. So it's definitely like a, a huge, completely different metabolic environment in terms of like the acidity as well as the keto ketosis state if you eat like a, like a whole, whole foods meat-based diet or if you eat the standard, even, even like a healthy, healthy whole foods diet but still combines together like grains or uh, you know, high amounts of carbs with meat. So it's kind of creates a completely different uh, yeah. metabolic response. Right, yeah, the, the meat-based, the healthy meat-based diet, um, meaning good quality meat in sufficient quantity with uh, vegetables. And so some people say that that's a boring diet. But then later, they feel so good, you know, the whole thing about being bored by food or trying to be entertained by food, that whole thing goes away. Yeah. And people just are like, they're just wanting the, the healthy food. Yeah, like a <laughs> The, the boring diet is actually the healthiest diet because... Absolutely. And then you have health and now, yeah. now your life isn't boring because you can do stuff, right? But when you're okay. sick, you're just laying on the couch. And I want to say, and you're in, you're in Estonia, right? Yeah, Estonia. Yeah. yeah um, so I have, I, in my 20 years, I've had a number of people who um, they would go back home um, and they would say Eastern Europe. That's what maybe two or three people they had cancer and they would go back home and eat the, the uh, diet of their parents and they would live with their families mm -hmm. and uh, they would say they would eat a lot of potatoes and tubers and stuff like that and their cancer would go away mm -hmm. and I think that the truth is they didn't say yeah I ate a lot more meat or I had better quality meat because not many people talk about meat as a health food they just people right. don't talk about it their focus is on vegetables so, you know, they say that the um, reversal of their cancer is because they're not eating American vegetables, which are deficient in nutrients. Instead, you know, they're eating from the garden that their parents have had for the last, you know, 50 years. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that the missing aspect here is that they're probably eating more meat, you know, in uh, the rural communities with their own cows and their, um, their own uh, goats or whatever. So that's a big factor there for reverse, for helping the body get rid of cancer and improve the health. Yeah, I, I do think that food quality plays a huge 
difference and it does have like a huge effect and people in eastern europe they do eat like plenty of uh, meat they don't like restrict it that much it's part of like the national cuisine uh but at the same time like a lot of a lot in Estonia, still like a lot of Estonians eat like some breads and carbs and those sort of things as well. So although they are getting like better quality food, it can be still optimized a little more better by, you know, restricting the carbs uh, in some aspects. Yeah. Yeah. And I have people, they go to, they go on vacation in Europe and they come back and they say, yeah, I lost eight pounds in a week. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, did you walk more? Because doctors will say, well, you just... It's a walking community. And I've had people use their pedometer. They're checking their steps. This one woman said, no, I, I had 10,000 steps every day, just like I do in the United States. So it wasn't walking more. And then I asked the question, what would you eat? Well, I ate what they ate. I had wine. I had chocolate. I had bread. I had, you know, fatty, you know, I had uh, fatty food, salad. And so their diet was probably worse in Europe. But yet they lost eight pounds <laughs> because the, they don't have the chemicals like we do. Our food manufacturers load up all these chemicals for taste, for preservation, for texture, and it's just a mess. Mm. So you, you can poison yourself with what you think is quality food, but it's actually not because the chemicals are added. Yeah, yeah. So how does, for instance, how does the, what's the difference between uh, grain-fed and grass-fed meat? Then, in terms of like how does it uh, contribute to lactic acidosis specifically or cancer? Yeah, I don't know if, I don't really have a good answer for that. Um, <clears throat> so if you have a, gra a grain fed animal, most of their life is still on grass and then the last six months or more is in a feedlot. And so, yeah, that's not healthy, it's not good. It changes the, the, I guess the best answer is it changes the fat of the meat uh, from omega-3 to omega-6. Mm -hmm. So I have a farmer that's 12 miles um, west of me. I use, I get her, her meat for like, I don't know if it's been four or five years now. And I share this with my family. And of course I have my own opinion, but it's the best bacon I've ever had. It's the best pork chops. Like my dad said it was the best pork chop he's ever had. And he asked me, what did you season it with? I said, I didn't put anything on it. It's just organic pork. And so the grass-fed natural food uh, or natural feed to the farm animal, um, it makes a huge difference with taste and appetite uh, satisfaction. And it, there's got to play a huge role with health too. So the better quality meat's going to taste better, it's going to be better for your body. Mm. I hope that's a good answer. That's my yeah. best answer. Yeah, it does a little bit. <laughs> and I would, you mentioned that you know the omega-3s, are or like the, the fatty acid content of the grass-fed meat is better and healthier so uh would you recommend like eating fish then as well like quality fish uh yeah um it's got to be quality fish um farm-raised fish can be fed soy you know they feed them like soy pellets or grain pellets like that's a disaster mm. so i read a i think it was environmental working group which is ewg.org and i think they're the ones that said that the worst meat you can put in your mouth is farm-raised tilapia and farm-raised catfish. Mm. So it's just the chemicalized meat from these fish that are fed really bad food pellets and maybe they're given antibiotics. You know, who knows? Who knows what they're fed? I've actually, yeah, I've also heard that they dye or they like paint, paint of salmon more pink so right. it would be more appealing and uh, look more natural. 
because you know the pinkness the pinkness comes from uh, the astaxanthin from the wild salmon that is you know swimming upstream and exposed to all these different hormetic stresses and natural natural stresses that makes it more resilient and builds up these antioxidants but you know in farms farm conditions you don't have that <laughs> your farmed farm conditions right. are really you know domesticated right so i've been interested in that subject about <clears throat> raising uh, animals for food and i've read that in japan they're moving away from fish i'm sure they still eat a ton of fish but they're moving away from fish more to beef wow. and um it's actually improving their health and making them live longer so people that live in Hong Kong eat more meat than anybody else in the world. They eat like a pound and a half a day. And um, they live longer than anybody else in the world. So mm-hmm. I've been working my way up. Like yesterday, so I go to a, a hot bar at a grocery store and they have ground beef or they have various types of uh, maybe like, uh, here's um, like shish kafta. I have it right here. This is my breakfast right there. Mm-hmm. So that's like beef and lamb. And I put it in a bowl and I weigh it in order to pay for it. They got to, you know, weigh it and I get the receipt. And it's yesterday. My lunch was 1.1 pounds of meat. I've had, you know, 1.5 pounds, 1.9 pounds of meat just for lunch and feel fantastic. My, my health has improved so much. This is about seven months ago. I went from eating red meat twice a week to twice a day mm-hmm. and uh, brain better um, endurance um, physically and brain powers is better um sleep is better i've had people where their insomnia got better because they're eating meat and of course they're warmer red meat is the most thermogenic food that you can have you know when uh girls are like cold because they just had some uh hummus you know they're eating their carrots and hummus and they're cold it's like you need to eat some red meat you know like twice a day three times a day quit being a wimp kind of be dainty, you know, get stronger, eat some red meat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, it does. I would imagine it does have like, uh, you know, for people who haven't eaten like uh, sufficient amounts of uh, red meat over the course of like a long period of time, then they will definitely notice like a difference once they reintroduce it because it's been like really, you know, frowned upon for like so so long and the thought is like the cause of all disease. Right. And it's not right. That's, and that's a huge disservice. All these people saying that meat is bad. I mean, it's a, it's a crime against humanity to say that. So if you look at the history, our, our ancestors were eating meat from day one. And, um, the problem is sugar that came about during the industrial revolution of the late 1800s, the industrial revolution affected manufacturing. And that includes the manufacturing of junk food. So the first heart attack started around 1905 through 1915. It showed up in the medical literature in 1911 and 1918. And so if you read the research incorrectly, which most people do, Harvard reads it incorrectly, all the government agencies, all the vegans, all the MDs that promote a plant-based diet, they're reading the research incorrectly. And they're saying that meat is the problem and they show these observational studies. And it's like, wait a minute, there's too many confounders, you can't get cause. And it's always been sugar. It's all, and then the white bread, you know, the organic bread was um, prevalent up until about 1900 to 1920. The white bread started to come on the market. And the marketing back then was only poor people eat brown bread. Rich people eat white bread. So that made people want to eat the white bread because it, they would be sort of looked on as being wealthy 
financially. Mm -hmm. So again, that's just another, um, uh, but brown bread, brown bread, brown bread would be like uh, more healthy because it has like more fiber. Right. And they did that too with salt, you know, salt should be gray and sort of wet. And, and the idea was, well, if it's white, it's pure, it's healthier for you. You know, in the, uh, the industry would just say every, anything white is healthy for you. White mm -hmm. sugar, white flour, white bread, white rice, white pasta, and everything else is dirty or for poor people or old or something like that. So mm. <laughs> you mentioned that your health has been improving and uh, are there any, have you done like a blood test recently to you know, kind of compare your past uh, health? Yeah. Um, so two and a half years ago, I ran a test called lipoprotein A. It's my only cardiovascular marker that's high. And um, I don't want to get into the physiology of it. It's just a dangerous thing to have high. And it's worse if you have all kinds of other things that are high too, but it's my only one. Hmm. Anyways, it should be less than 75. And at the time it was 131. But I just got that redone. I've been tracking it for two and a half years now. My last test, which was about two weeks ago, is 82. Mm -hmm. So over the course of two and a half years, it's dropped 50 points. Wow. And I've been in ketosis. My first attempts at ketosis were three years ago. And I've been eating more red meat now, like I said. But the other aspect of my health is the uh, mold. So I have urine tests and blood tests to confirm that it is leaving my body. And my immune system is uh, calming down um, as it leaves my body. So, right. yeah. What about uh, cholesterol and those sort of things? I would imagine that that's, that's also changed a little bit once you change your diet. Um, well, you know, cholesterol can go up and down based on what you eat. Um, but I have the genetics such that my cholesterol is always less than 200. And my LDL is always per And maybe it's not genetics. Maybe it's the fact that I've been low carb since the year 2000. Right. I've had less than 75 grams of carbs every day. Um, you know, now for 19 years. And if I did cheat, it would be 100 grams or 125 grams. Whereas the standard American diet is about 250 grams or more. And the average American eats 300 grams yeah. of carbs. So, you know, you, I could blame my genetics, not blame, but I could place uh, the responsibility on my genetics, but it's probably more my diet. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah, true. That, you know, people, uh, you know, they say that the low carb diet is already starts below 200 grams of carbs, which I would already consider like a higher carb diet. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. There's studies that say low carb is 200 or 150 or whatever. Yeah. You got to get down to, if you want really low carb, it's less than 20. Right. Do you, do you pay attention to any like ketones or something if you're eating uh, like slightly more carbs? Yeah. I test my ketones, um, with blood or uh, urine, uh, blood is uh, more accurate. And I haven't tested in a while just because I know that I've been in ketosis most of the time because of the way that I feel in my previous testing. So I, and I have my patients do that too. Um, they buy a device called Keto Mojo. We sell out of our office. And uh, I'm making sure they're getting into ketosis if it's part of what I want them to do. Right. Mm. What are some uh, like maybe red flags uh, people can look out for in their blood tests, you know, to show, to see like if, if they have like any symptoms of lactic acidosis or some other health problems that they are, should be more cautious about. Yeah. Good, good question. Um, <clears throat> so right off the bat, you can test for lactate. Um, you can test it at home. I got a device 
you know, you can poke your own skin. Labs will do lactate. There's another one called anion gap. You don't want that to be too high. That's related to acid. Um, there's an enzyme called lactate dehydrogenase. And if that's too low, that means that your body can't get, can't get rid of lactate. So there's three there. Those are all three related directly to lactate mm. and acid. Now, sort of beyond that, you want to test for sugar, blood glucose, and ketones. You want to be in ketosis to prevent that. And also to insulin, you want the insulin to be low. Now, insulin is very volatile. It can go up and down pretty easily. And so for a long-term test, there's one called uh, C-peptide, the letter C-peptide. Just like blood sugar can go up and down quickly, you can test for A1C for like a long-term measurement of blood sugar. C-peptide is a long-term measurement for insulin. Mm -hmm. So those are um, kind of the main tests right there. Um, and one more thing though, too, if your lipids are off, if you're worried about cholesterol, really the main thing is called VLDL. And the way you determine that, you can test it directly with the blood, or you can take your total cholesterol, subtract the LDL, and then subtract the HDL. And you're left with VLDL. You want that less than 19. So the ketogenic diet fixes all that, mm -hmm. which makes it easy. Yeah. Uh, what, what about the cholesterol triglyceride ratio? Uh, I've heard that that's also like more important than just looking at LDL or something. Yeah, that's a good point for sure. Um, with the ketogenic diet, your triglycerides will drop. You know, like, like if, if, if your triglycerides are at 50 or 60, you know, and mm. then you're in good shape. You know, then the HDL is up. So the concept is called lean mass hyperresponder. I don't know if you've heard of that. Have you heard of that? Yeah, from Dave, Dave Feldman. Right, exactly. So there's, you can look at these lipid panels in different ways. But that, that ratio is a good one. And then the um, uh, VLDL is a good one too. Mm, yeah. So yeah, people, people definitely um, would, you know, it's, it's a good, good point to, you know, pay attention to your biomarkers and take like regular plot tests to actually see what's changing and uh, what, what you're doing is, is, is effective. Right. Yeah. With the, with the cholesterol, um, it's almost like there's two groups. You can have high cholesterol and be very healthy. Breaking, you can have low cholesterol and be very healthy. Mm. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to have everybody bring their cholesterol down. Because some people are, I was on the phone with a woman this week. She's 86 years old and she's in pretty good shape. And she says to me, what about cholesterol? She, she goes, my doctor says it's high. He wants me on a statin drug to lower it. And I said, look, you're 86. You have not had a heart attack. Your risk is so low. It's probably genetic. I said, don't worry about it. There's no proof that a statin drug helps any woman. Mm. And there's no proof that a statin drug helps anybody over the age of 70. You know, so there's, this, there's a lot of fear about cholesterol. And that was really, really bad in the 1980s. You know, you just say the word cholesterol and people would, you know, get anxiety attacks just by mentioning the word. But uh, yeah. thankfully, that's going away. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that it's not even considered like a risk factor for uh, cardiovascular disease, if I'm not mistaken. The LDL? Yeah. Right. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's been great talking with you. And we could definitely talk about these things for hours and hours on these different topics. Uh, but uh, before I ask my last question, where can people learn more about you and your work? Our, our main website is the office website. It's um, www.thenhcaa.com 
which stands for the nutritional healing center, Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. com. So my uh, main social media platform is YouTube. So go on YouTube, search my name, find my channel that way. Mm-hmm. And also a little bit on Twitter, a little bit on Facebook. Yeah. And I just want to, I just want to say to the, if you're watch if you're still watching this on YouTube, good job sticking it out. Cause we went into really heady stuff. You know, we got into some good science and blood panels and physiology. So if you're still with us, good job. Yeah. Like patience and the perseverance are, are also very important <laughs> for health. Yeah, and, and I've been interviewed many times and your questions were, you know, very science oriented. They're very good. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I believe the audience also would love it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, my last question is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? Oh, for sure. I wish that I had known about mold um, in buildings. 70% of, of buildings in the United States have enough toxic mold to negatively, negatively affect the inhabitants of the building. Mm. So when I bought my first house, um, there's some mold in the basement that affected my intestines wow. and caused constipation. And then I, at the same time, I'm going to work in this building that had different mold, you know, that later had settled in my heart, was causing heart symptoms. So before you move into a building, apartment, whatever, workspace, factory, you know, you got to know if there's mold in there. You can test the air. Mm-hmm. And if you, people die from this. People get these symptoms, they go to their doctor, the doctor gives them blood pressure medications, anxiety drugs. It's like, no, you got to find the cause. Mm-hmm. And so I wish I had known about mold because my life would have been so much easier and, and I would have spent way less money on things that I needed to do. Like it, it cost me a house to move into my new office. Oh. You know, like it's, just, it's expensive to have molding around you (laughs) (laughs) yeah like it's also like a hidden killer like if you if you've got all your diet fixed and uh, you're sleeping properly you're hydrated you're exercising everything is working fine but you still feel like suboptimal then it's probably have to do something something with like some form of secret hidden (laughs) source of mold or something else or like like yeah yeah nice well yeah uh, thanks thanks for coming to the podcast and uh I'm looking forward to more of your videos on YouTube as well. And I'll leave all the links in the show notes for people to check it out. All right, cool. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Apartment podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.